Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Kevin. I'm Charles. You do it for the love of it. This is a sports podcast, watching for the best stories from across the global competitive landscape. Okay, starting this one off with the newest sport out there, esports. Um, we're going to go right into the championship, and we're going to go to the Overwatch League. The inaugural season's grand finals were earlier today. They were, they were, and exciting they were, with two underdog teams being in it, London Spitfires and Philadelphia Fusion. Uh, both teams not expected to be anywhere near this. Uh, and start. I think the Spitfires started off real slow, Philadelphia heating up right near the end. So, I mean, it, 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 was, it was very exciting to get to this point. Yeah, heating but, up is an understatement to describe how the London Spitfire finished. Yeah. They looked like they were on the verge of elimination. And then they won, I believe in their 19 event matches, they only lost two. They absolutely rolled through teams. Yeah, actually at the 19 beginning... 19 maps, sorry, not yeah, matches. <laughs> maps. In um, the, the start of the season, like before we got to finals... Actually, London Spitfire were almost one of the worst teams in the whole uh, thing. So for them to even slide into the finals was not supposed to be a thing. But, I mean, for them to make it all the way to the end, never mind win it all. London Spitfires, your champions. Exciting. Yes, the the final, the second match, uh, best out of three, second match, London Spitfire won. It was, at that point, the first match was... a. Decent struggle, you could see potential of winning. The second match, it wasn't even close. Especially the second map of the second match. It looked like these two teams weren't even on the same same playing field. It was complete domination by London Spitfire. Particularly their star player, Profit. Profit has been touted as one of the best, if not the best players out there. So, uh, I mean, not to be surprised by that. And to carry... Not to carry his team, but to really be the linchpin of his team and to get them to where they needed to be to win it all. Oh, man, all the props to them. That's crazy exciting for them. Yeah, he's definitely the driver. Yeah, and there we go. That's our first little bit of history. So that's going to be something we're going to be tuning into on ESPN again, which is crazy. You know, yeah, started so. off with a million dollar prize for the London Spitfire World Championship. Serious money, but this is only growing from here. Exactly. So uh, we'll go into uh, how much prize money was doled out to the other teams. So the, the winner was a million dollars. Second place won four hundred thousand uh, dollars. Third and fourth both got a hundred thousand. Fifth and sixth fifty G's. So I mean, there's a lot. There was a lot of money, which is crazy, and only to be more. I imagine the next time around. So uh, we'll slide over to the other uh, exciting, uh, my favorite game, I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> PUBG uh, over there in Berlin, where they had a series which uh, was ran a little bit clunky, uh, but it was crazy cool to see uh, some of the best players out there. Yeah, it was definitely, it wasn't the smoothest, but you could see the elements that is going to turn games like these, this is kind of a Battle Royale style Fortnite, PUBG, mm -hmm. that you could, I think are becoming the most popular games to play, and yes. could very easily become the most popular esports around. Yeah, I mean, what we were talking about last week, they were saying that there could possibly be $20 billion organizations, never mind. You know the just the, for the battle royale, yeah, not just for battle royale games. Never mind, yeah, exactly esports. So never mind your Overwatches, your League of Legends, your everything else like that. So I mean, uh, they had a crazy exciting thing. They did a, I think it was a four day thing with a day in the middle, or was it? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, so it was five days total. The third day was kind of a community charity event. Yeah, and they had all the big names: your Doctor Disrespects, your Shrouds. They're all going out there playing a game. You get to see them really work, and they are master class athletes in themselves. That uh, they are, weren't participating in that event, which is uh, crazy. That there's, I mean, this many players that are that that high of caliber. So I mean, uh, the team that won was from China. Was OMG? Uh, very exciting win for them. They look to be. Strong the, basically the entire time. 
Yeah, uh, but near the end, it just came, it became a battle for second and third place because it was clear nobody was topping these guys. Not yeah. on this weekend. No, hundred percent. And uh, I mean, it's crazy exciting to see <laughs> to even watch it. Uh, number two team that came in, I believe, was Team Liquid. Team Liquid did get the win the battle for second place. That yeah, basically that's came a up. team based out of Europe. Uh, and then the follow up to that was. Uh, what team was that? Welcome to South Georgia ended up in third place with Ghost Gaming falling apart a little bit at the end. Yeah. Dropping so, all the way to sixth. You know, uh, Ghost Gaming looked to be one of the teams that could possibly win it. And then, you know, maybe slide into second or and then just couldn't hold it together. I mean, it's kind of the name of the game when you uh, get into games like that. You can really slide anywhere at any point if you, you know, have a good round one. Yeah, yeah you understand this better than I do, but when you look at their kill numbers, Ghost Gaming was way up there above everybody else with their kill numbers, but they just couldn't hold it together at the end. I know, 100%. If you put yourself into the action like that, you kind of, uh, the more you shoot, because it's kind of a sound-based game, right? So the more you hear all this action, if you're getting a lot of kills, it, it draws more eyes to where you are, you know? And it is, it's way faster paced than, you know, uh, me or your average player will play, uh, you know, you're going to slowly make your way through everything and kind of go to each building. These guys are shooting, moving, shooting, moving, and it's like, if you're getting all those kills, a lot of eyes are going to come towards you, and they just ended up being on the the uh, the lower end of it. But yeah, Survival still. is the name of the game. OMG was not anywhere near the top of the leaderboard as far as kills go, but they... They walked away with the championship. Exactly. It, it really is a strategic thing. You can kill everyone, or you can kind of hang back a little bit. So, okay, so sliding over to League of Legends. Team Liquid had a bit more success winning this week, so we're not in any sort of playoff or grand tournament for League of Legends, but we are uh, six weeks into a nine-week season, if I remember correctly. Team Liquid is currently on top of those standings. Yeah, uh, so this is the League of Legends series. So, I mean, they, they're they kind of seeing how they're evening out, doing trying some new tactics and things like that, really trying to uh, establish themselves uh, in the, when it comes to the big, big, big show. Yeah, specifically so, the, this is the North American League of Legends yes. championship series. going. It's going on as we speak, so we can't give you complete up-to-date information. 100%. But uh, Team Liquid and 100 Thieves are both 8 and 4. So, yeah. Uh, strong. Yeah, and then I believe I, they both play. One's playing maybe right now. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see kind of how that evens out. If you guys want to check that out, you can check that out right on their website. Uh, they have the, the news in their eSports yeah, page there. Pretty, pretty accessible. Yeah, so, you know, check it out, and it's a pretty exciting series, if you, especially if you're a fan of League of Legends. And the last game we wanted to talk about is the Summer Skirmish in Fortnite. Got off to a rocky start, but the last couple of weeks have been quite entertaining. Oh, uh, it's very rocky start. I mean, they basically had to wash the first week. Um, then to follow up with week two was, a, I believe, a singles round. Um, and then followed now by week three, which was doubles. Um, it's saving its points up to 13. The way you score points is either by a victory or getting five or more kills. Um, the team that had the most kills in a round would then get, would make a little bit of extra money. Yeah, a big part of the summer skirmish is Fortnite wanted to show there is money in this esports, so they guaranteed that they're going to give out $8 million worth of prizes over the course of this eight-week tournament. Yeah. And part of that is the $6,500 every time you lead the just the single round in eliminations. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure what kind of happens with the $250,000 that was supposed to start it off, but my guess is probably the little pots that happen on the each round maybe see a little bit more money and stuff like that, which is really cool for every uh, participant in these. So uh, the winners for this one was Atlantis Mitro and Atlantis Megan, I believe. Yes. They uh, <laughs> so they got 14 points, fitting, hitting just ahead of the main team of main Fwexi and main Patek. Yeah, and then uh, we had... Twitch Gray Fox in third with Muzo Mops, you know, so it's, this, this series is pretty cool, and you, if you get a chance, you should check it out, especially if you're a big fan, 
There was a, there's a video of a person doing a build in one of these, and I can't remember exactly who it was off the top of my head, but they throw down a build, and it's like a three-story build in literally seconds. Like, it's unbelievable. If you know, if you've ever played the game, you'll understand, like, how absolutely crazy this build was, but... If you get a chance, check it out. It's well worth it. These guys are crazy. Yeah, good. Fortnite is probably the most accessible of any of these video games to play, and I think th this summer skirmish is trying to use that to get people in the doors to, for esports as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you get a chance, check it out. That's a Fortnite summer skirmish. Uh, you can see some of the better players, and they do invitations for every single round, and we're unsure what the rounds will be, so. The next one we would assume would probably be squads, but we'll see how that goes, and uh, keep keep tuned kind of to the Epic Games site, then the Fortnite tab, you can find their use. Yeah. Week 4 starts this next, coming up Friday, we don't know the format quite yet. Okay, now moving on to your favorite sport, which is cycling. Yes. I know. Melancholy moment, yeah. now that the tour is over, I don't get to watch it for another year. Yeah. Now, so we're going to talk about stages first. So we're starting off with stage 16? Yes, beginning to a spectacular week. Fireworks all over the place this stage. The first big firework, you may have seen the clip, Philippe Gilbert crashes on the famous climb where in 1995, I believe it was, Fabio Casatelli died. Wow. So there was, when he went over the edge here... Everyone was holding yeah, their like breath. Yeah, like there was a lot of <laughs> clenched... <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't seen this clip, he literally disappears. Like, he, he he's going, all of a sudden it's like tap, and you just see him fly over his handlebars and disappears. Like, he must have fell a good, you know, four or five it, feet. It turns out he was just a few hundred meters away from the exact point where Casatelli died. Oh, my gosh. So you could tell just from the statements after the stage that people, this, like, just that extra specter of death really scared people when this crash happened. Wow. But it did continue on, um, and Alaphilippe, his teammate, he won the stage, and it was incredible. Okay. Like, this was a big mountain stage, uh, clearly a polka dot jersey stage. Yeah. Uh, Warren Bargui, who was his biggest competition at this point, was in, in the breakaway as well. And I thought Warren Bargui was going to break away. I thought he, like he's historically the better climber. Yeah. But Alaphilippe not only attacked was the second man over the second of over the last climb but then we got to see a, an amazing descender like yeah. th th this is a fairly new guy we haven't seen him a lot he might already be the best descender in the world really <laughs> like you think he's up there with Sagan and Nibali for sure when it comes to great descenders you got your artists and you got your psychopaths yeah Alaphilippe is an artist it was absolutely beautiful it was between him and Adam Yates and the camera would switch from Alaphilippe, and you'd just see this gorgeous bed just ripping down the... <laughs> it, was, it was pure artistry. I don't yeah. know how else... And you go back to Adam Yates, and it'd be much slower, much clunkier, and it was just... And he rode that descent. He was second over the climb, but he rode the descent to victory. Wow. That's crazy. Um, Sagan clinched the green jersey already on this stage with five stages to go. Simply a display of what was an amazing, dominant first two weeks of the tour for him. Yeah. And kind of a weird start to the stage as well, I should probably mention. Uh, farmers were protesting. Yeah. Um, with about 30K into the race, they strew hay bales across the road. Yeah, I, I was, saw that. I saw some clips, and you could see that there was hay, like, on the... And everyone was kind of biking to the right of it and yeah. stuff. And so that would have been bad enough. Yeah. But the... Police decided to get rid of the pepper spray, get rid of the protest by using pepper, pepper spray. Pepper spray, yeah. Which on a windy day when you got a bunch of cyclists coming through, uh, so kind of backfired. Go. They yeah. actually had to neutralize the race, stop everybody, so that about, about 30, 40 riders had to get their eyes cleaned out. Oh like, my just gosh. <laughs> complete mess. <laughs> I have no idea why the police decided to use pepper spray. Yeah, but know. Alice so Leap wins. And what were they protesting? I have been unclear on this, other than it's specifically it's a farmer protest, and they believe farmers have been treated unfairly. Okay, and this seems to be a good stage to kind of yeah, make up. Yeah, it was at the right point. Yeah. The stage started in, in a flat area and eventually got to the mountains, so I assume it was you know, prime farmer country. That makes sense. 
Okay, so we're sliding on now to stage 17. Yeah, stage 17, a lot of the hype was before this stage even started. We've never seen a stage like this. Yeah. Uh, it was only 65 kilometers long and climbed, one kilometer in was the start of the very first climb. Three very hard climbs with only two short descents in between. Yeah. All climbing this stage. They started with a grid style like you'd see in Formula One or Moto GP racing. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, so they're all like standard. Yeah, the yeah. first 10 riders in the GC were in very specific positions, and then behind them, people were grouped uh, based on their Position their positions in group, every 20 people, I believe, were in okay. their own little section. So we've never seen that in any Grand Tour. Um, but once the race finally got going, uh, Nairo Quintana attacked, uh, was aided by his teammate who had already attacked Alejandro Valverde, and he would win, showing the talent, like Quintana's physical talent's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. And when he puts it all together, it's, it's a joy to watch him. The pro only problem with him is he doesn't always show it. And yeah, he's the one we were talking about. When, before we started this podcast, we kind of did some practice podcasts where we talked about Nero Cantana. And we talked about how he was kind of the person who should be the best cyclist in the world almost. Yes, by, by pure talent, talent, absolutely. But just won't, doesn't seem to take risks and seems kind of, not lazy, but just he, he really likes to underperform. Yeah, he doesn't. I, I kind of I try to describe it as he doesn't play the game of cycling very well. Okay. Like he's so strong, but he his attacks don't have that extra punch. I don't know how exactly to describe it, but he's he's extremely talented, but never quite the top man. Okay, okay. But we did see uh, Quintana rode away, and before he was away, we saw the first breakup of the three-time defending champion Chris Froome. He did crack on a Primoz Roglic attack, I believe it was. Okay. And faded away. This this is the first place where we decided, kind of saw that this is going to be Garrett Thomas's team. Yeah. And I just wanted to say a little note on this Chris Froome attack. Yeah. Egan Bernal, at this point, I think he's going to be a superstar. He's the youngest rider in the race. Yeah. But there, when Chris Froome attacked, Egan Bernal was with the front group, realized Chris Froome attacked, Went back to Chris Froome, kind of realized the group was still going ahead, ran right up to the front group like it was nothing. He was just a gazelle <laughs> among elephants. Like it made no sense. Okay. How, hit the talent. This guy is going to win the tour. I cannot wait. Like nobody wins a tour at his age. Yeah. But, but in a few years when he's ready to go, this he's going to be an absolute superstar name to watch. Okay, okay. It's okay, so we're going to slide up, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Bardet? No? That was what we just did. Yeah, uh, well, Bardet, uh, he also he didn't crack quite as spectacularly as Chris Froome, but he, this was the stage where he also showed us. He doesn't have it. He might never have it. Like, he was the great French hope, and yeah. just might not have that next level. He could probably win a Giro or a Vuelta. Yes. But it's a next-level achievement to try to win the Tour, and I'm not sure he, he has it. Okay, okay. Showed a little bit uh, underwhelming there. Starting over to stage 18. 18 was the transfer stage, kind of the, the transition stage between the Pyrenean stage. This is a fairly flat stage into Poe. Alexander Demar, who had been struggling mightily, Losing 30, 40, 50 minutes the last couple stages. Yeah. Brought it all together. His team went on the front, did all the work, and he rewarded them with a stage victory. There we go. Uh, Peter Sagan had crashed on the last downhill in stage 17. Yeah. And it was obvious that he just didn't have it physically. He was part of the race, but uh, he, I think he finished 8th or ninth. Just did not have the legs, had the speed anymore. Yeah, a little banged up. The crash was not seen on TV. We don't know how bad it was, but it must, it must have hurt. Have From what we saw afterwards, he was clearly hurting. Okay, okay. And then we have Kristoff. Yeah. Uh, so with Sagan hurt, you would think Damar and Kristoff would be the two favorites for this stage. Yeah. And Kristoff, for some reason, found himself in second position in the peloton with 1.7K to go. That's a position... You don't want to be second in the peloton if you want to win the stage... 
unless until like 400 meters to go. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so for him to be where he was at 1.7k to go was a complete mistake in somebody's planning. Yeah. And I knew as soon as that he faded back and tried to reget it, but he basically had to reset his sprint. Oh wow. Going in and gave the stage away to Demar. Okay, okay. Um, we slide over to 19. Yes, this was the last, the last climb, last mountain stage of the tour, and man, did they fill it! Just some of the most epic names in Tour de France: the Col d'Aspin, the Col de Tourmalet, and the Col d'Aubisque. Those names put fear into anyone who's ever. If, if you followed the tour for a while, you yeah. know those names, and you know just the momentousness of of this stage. Yeah. Um, and right from the start, you saw Sagan's injuries. He was falling behind basically from the gun. Yeah. Ended up losing almost 40 minutes, but did get in just inside the time cut. Oh, because he'd already clinched the green jersey, but he still has to finish the tour. Yes. And it was a serious question whether he'd be able to. Really? That banged up? Yeah. He was, like, um, like right from the go. It was very, like, it. you could feel the suffering coming <laughs> through the TV. <laughs> yeah. this, this hurt to watch. Okay. And then Roblick. Yes, so we should move to the actual GC battle. This is kind of very similar to kind of a muted version of Stage 17. Okay. Um, Chris Froome did crack and get back on, kind of a struggle. We saw Bernal again impressively help Chris Froome get him back to the situation. Yeah. Garrett Thomas never really broke. But we saw Primoz Roglic, who's not a name that's been particularly big and one that... If you listen to the last couple of podcasts, I completely dismissed as any kind of real podium contender. Yes. He he never left, and on this stage, he really showed what he's capable of doing. He won very much like his stage off the Galibier last year. He won by climbing very well and then attacking on the descent. Yes. To win a stage. I'm. This is a very. I don't know what to think about Primoz Roglic moving into the future. He's he's older than you kind of think he is because this is only his third Grand Tour, yes. but he's already 28 years old. He was okay, a okay. ski jumper first okay, so and then kind of moved into second sport type of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I don't. He looks like he can win a two. Like he looks like he's got the talent in him. It's just a matter of he's only got probably two, three more years at his peak. Can okay. he pull it off can in the next little it? while? Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. We'll slide over to stage 20. So stage 20, the individual time trial. Uh, at this point, Garrett Thomas looks like he's ensconced in yellow. Yes. He's got more than two minutes on Tom Dumoulin. It would take, it would take a performance reminiscent of Annemiek Van Vluten from earlier this year in the Giro Rosa yeah, to okay, overtake yes. it. And <laughs> Tom Dumoulin yeah, is the world champion, but that was such an absurd performance by Van Vluten. You can't ever expect Thank that you. to occur. Yes. The interesting part of this was the podium battle. You assume Garrett Thomas is winning, but the podium battle, second, third, and fourth positions were one, two, and three in the World Time Trial Championships last year. Oh, really? So these okay. are so this, top performance. Matter, yeah, right? absolutely. And in the end, Tom Dumoulin, the World Championship, did win. Um, it was kind of strange. The clock screwed up. And as they crossed the line, it seemed to indicate that Chris Froome had actually won. Yeah. But that turned out to simply be a clock error. Chris Froome did not finish with... Uh, his time was three seconds off okay, for some weird. reason. But once that was kind of cleared out, it did. Tom Dumoulin did win, and Chris Room was denied a <laughs> even a stage win. Yeah, in his tour that he lost. Um, Roglic, who was in third position and on the podium when this day started, was clearly exhausted from his attack the earlier day and just couldn't quite hold it. Lost over a minute and finished in fourth for the tour. Okay, kind of an interesting side note. Um, Tom Dumoulin has the world championship kit on, and it turns out the day started, they couldn't find it. <laughs> they couldn't, like, in the time trial, because aerodynamics is so important, yes. your skin suit is extremely important, custom made for you. Yes. And they couldn't find his skin suit. So everybody oh, starts no. freaking out. They still never found it. We don't, as of now, we don't know what happened to it. But luckily, the maker of a skin suit happens to be in the Basque region of Spain. And they were in the Basque region of French, France, right next door. 
So they got an emergency rush order oh, and brought wow. it over, and in time for him to be the second last person off the ramp. I feel like this dude's <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely got to get a tip. Yeah, like, absolutely. You gotta, you gotta give that man a little bit of extra money. And he, he wins the stage with that chaos beforehand. Holy, that's 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 about as exciting as you can get there for <laughs> sure. Okay, stage twenty-one kind of seems to be like a. After the fact, it seems like yes. kind of everything is set in stone. Yeah, stage point. 21 is all about the pageantry. It's the same stage pretty much every year. They take a different way into Paris, but once they get into Paris, they go onto the Champs-Élysées, usually between six and eight laps. Yeah. And it's all, almost always a sprint. I don't think there's been a breakaway win since Alexander uh, Vinokurov in 2004, I believe. Okay. And that sprint, Yves Lampart gave one hell of a shot to make another breakaway win, attacking yeah. with 1.2k to go. For a second, just for a second, I thought he had it. Yeah. But he couldn't hold on to it, and then Alexander Kristoff avenges his mistake from three stages ago to win on the Champs-Élysées. The most, this is basically the Sprinters' World Cup. Gotcha. There's no bigger stage for, for Sprinters than... in front of all the eyes. And... Yeah, on the Champs-Élysées. Just... This stage is part of the reason why I like cycling. Every yeah. sport has their pageantry. Yes. Yeah. The everybody loves to watch the Stanley Cup being performed. Everybody, yeah, the Hall, the NFL Hall of Fame are bringing in the Super Bowl. Yes, all, exactly. Yeah, we all love that. But I don't think any sport does it better than the Tour de France, stage twenty-one into Paris. Yes. You got uh, you got the cyclists going around. You have them go around the Arc de Triomphe. You have them going. Um, past the Louvre and the statue of Joan of Arc, come going around the thirty-two hundred-year-old obelisk. It's like no one does pageantry quite like this stage. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I don't. I feel like that backdrop can only be topped as if they did it in like Greece. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, they, they like, have an unfair advantage, absolutely. <laughs> right, or if they ran around the those pyramids, all three of them just go pyramids of Giza, just around and around and around. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do that's going to be that? Yeah, few places have have that kind of history like Paris does. <laughs> that's for sure. Okay, so that brings us to the end of cycling. Yes, Garrett Thomas wins, becomes the first Welshman to ever win the Tour de France, and denies Chris Froome his fifth. Yeah. Uh, now, I feel like there has to be some question marks about Maybe he used too much inhaler his entire <laughs> career. Chris Room wasn't wasn't able to drug as hard as <laughs> right? watched a bit more. Yeah, now you have like the eye on you, all of a sudden you can't do the things that you've done before. Like you have to wonder. But uh I mean Garrett Thomas, well deserved win. Uh I think he was Yeah, he was the strongest from day one. And we are just it was kinda like the Eagles. Where the Eagles were the best team last year, and yeah. we just all kind of dismissed them because they weren't supposed to be. Yeah. He wasn't supposed to be the strongest, but he always was the strongest, yes. right from day one. So, I mean, that's exciting. So, what the, the green jerseys next? Uh, Peter Sagan won the green jersey, as I mentioned. He locked it up in stage 16. Yeah. Like, which was good because his crash in stage 17 led him to be just unable to... Like, if this was not even close, if this was a 100-point race when he crashed, he yeah. wouldn't have got it. Yes. But he had been so dominant in the first two weeks that he won it. His sixth green jersey ties uh, Eric Zabel for the record for most all-time. Okay, okay. And then we're going to slide over to the white for the youth. This was kind of a boring year for the white jersey. There wasn't anybody... A lot of the young riders were there clearly as domestiques. Yeah. Uh, Pierre Latour working for Roman Bardet. Egan Bernal working for Team Sky in general. Yeah. Uh, Guillaume Martin was there for himself, but he wasn't able. Yeah, he had a couple bad days. Finished, I believe. I believe he finished in third in the competition. Yeah. So Pierre Latour won, but to be honest, this was a, kind of an afterthought year. Okay, okay. Polka dot jersey next. Julian Alaphilippe showed us this is a guy who's shown so much promise the last couple of years. Like this guy is going to be. Is he going to be the next Sagan? Is he going to be? Can this guy compete in the higher mountains? He was spectacular this year. Yeah. Like, he went above expectations. His coach uh, spoke about how the most difficult thing with Alaphilippe is to get him reined in. Yeah. He's such an... He just always wants to go. He always wants to attack. He always wants to play. And whatever coaching they did, it was sensational. He was the most impressive rider this year. <laughs> like, the most spectacular 
rider this year. That's awesome. That's exciting. Two stage wins and polka dot jersey. Okay, and then we have the two non-jersey, but they are extremely important. We have the... We'll go team first. So, Movistar won the team race. Um, this kind of happened for two reasons. One is they did come with the incredibly strong climbing lineup of Mikel Landa, um, Alejandro Valverde, and Nairo Quintana. Yeah. The team race is calculated by taking the top three times of your team every single stage. So when you got those three guys that can climb, yeah, you're going to be the favorite. Be. They lost lost it briefly to Bahrain Merida, but then got it right back the next day. Okay. So that was they kind of did exactly what was expected. Now we have combative. Yes, Dan Martin wins the most combative. This is awarded by a race jury, okay. and they determined that... And it's not a bad choice. I think I would have gone with Julian Alaphilippe. Yeah. Like he was he was in every single breakaway. He was, But it's certainly an impressive... Dan Martin won stage six, got in a crash, and then just kept on attacking. Yeah. I also think that perhaps Lillian Calmajan, had he been able to break through and have his one kind of shining stage moment. Yes. Because he was also just, he was the first guy on every attack. Yes. But he didn't have that one moment we can all wrap around. Yeah, you. So that I don't really think... puts you kind of head and shoulders yeah, above absolutely. the rest of the competition. Dan Martin did have that on the murder thing. Okay, so. okay. Wow. So that's cycling for a while now. Yeah, the Vuelta will start in late August, early September. I believe they're on their, their standard pattern. Uh, we don't quite know who's going to perform. They haven't announced any start lists. Okay. I would have to assume, unless he's injured and I haven't heard it, Simon Yates would be among the favorites. Uh, you never know who's going to come out of the tour. Usually there's a couple people who rode the tour who will also try to ride the Vuelta. Yeah. But they're one. They're often usually too tired from the tour to truly complete compete in the Volta. That makes sense by way of tr- getting re- training up for it, basically. Yeah, like you may be healthy and ready to compete, but like it's more healthy and ready to start training again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, we uh, can't really determine who's the favorite yet. Okay. Okay. So that's it for cycling for a little while, which is crazy because yeah. it's such a large segment. Uh, we're going to slide over to the NFL. Things, so they're in training camp now, and we've got a few stories that are bubbling up. Yeah, um, there's some very exciting and very uh, nerve-wracking things for some fans of the NFL here, <laughs> so that's for sure. Yeah, there's a few teams. Might be a little quavering. Yeah, you know, okay, so we'll start it off with Todd Gurley. Getting a big contract extension. Four years, $60 million, I think $45 million guaranteed? Yes. Oh, yep. man. Well deserved. Once Now, this goes plays into what we talked about, I think it was last Yeah, week. when we were talking Le'Veon Bell and him turning down his four-year, I believe it was a four-year $70 million deal. But the key part of that was there was only two, uh, $33 million guaranteed in that deal. Yeah. Um, the, the thing I w- was more speaking to was the get your money early. Yes. <laughs> if you are a running back, get your money now. And that's a big part of it. Gurley is only 23. Le'Veon Bell is trying the same thing at 26. That it, makes a big difference. It is. It, it, once again, that's only three years. So if you take that kind of little bit deal where you're like, well, I'm not the best running back. No, get your money. I have the ability to become the best running back in the league. Yeah, and this should be said for basically players of all positions of all sports. uh, Get your money. Don't take hometown discounts. Don't. Like, you're talking about setting up your family for generations. Yes. Don't don't feel bad about getting money. People are somehow get concerned and scared of taking... Mm. Taking big, I've seen the villain is taking money, and people attack play athletes for trying to get money. It, it's and it's crazy because like the team can definitely pay them. They just want to make sure that like maybe we have a little bit leftover money for some other guy, and that'll secure. No, pay your stars, and they will stay. Especially your running backs. Ex- get your especially money. running backs and that I are that. Good. Do you want to go back to Le'Veon Bell? Because my point last week was I think Le'Veon Bell should have taken that contract. 
is basically a two-year, $33 million contract. Like, yeah. he was dressed up with a few years at the end. Yeah. But that's $16.5 million, $33 million guaranteed for a couple of years. Yeah. Look at what Todd Gurley got at 23. He still only... Basically, Gurley's is a three-year, $45 million contract yeah. for all intents and purposes. That's $15 million. That's more guaranteed, but I still think Le'Veon Bell should have taken his two at 16 and a half. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there must be other issues along with it because, like, it seems like he probably should have took the money. But, like, you're talking, like, maybe Ben Roethlisberger not being there next year, the year after. Yeah, he's he's older. He's been contemplating it off and on again. He's mad that they pulled in a young quarterback, so maybe he isn't. Like, he's all over the place. Like, it's maybe he doesn't want... Like, he wants to be guaranteed... Me being the larger piece of this pie, which is fair. So you think he'll be able to cash in more than the 15 mil per that Gurley's getting next offseason? I think he'll be able to do at least match Zed offer by way of being a free agent, yes. As long as he gets the money, then he succeeded. But I'm a little worried that Bell's not going to get the money that he deserves. That's very fair. Speaking of money that they deserve... Julio Jones is currently making $10.5 million a year, as other receivers around him make far more than that. Yes, and Julio Jones, if you don't know anything about football, is the wide receiver. Yeah, top three for sure, no doubt about it. Big, strong, fast, uh, can make a catch from anywhere, turns any quarterback into a good quarterback, turns great quarterbacks into Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Like, he is that receiver. He is your Jerry Rice. He is your Chris Carter. He is that guy. Pay the man. Pay the The, man. The weird situation about Julio Jones is Julio Jones signed his contract. He was kind of the last star to sign his contract before they really started paying wide receivers. Very true. So he's he's only in the third year of a five-year deal. Yeah. And that's kind of where the leverage problem comes from. 100%. Um, hold out. <laughs> yeah. Not just hold out, but seriously hold out and hold out in the regular season. Oh, yeah. that's the only leverage you Sit have. Sit down, you know, you know, get a workout in, keep your body healthy, get some massages, take care of yourself. You still have a little bit of money. You just sit on and weather the storm. Well, when they start losing early in the season and they go... Maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's because of this. People's jobs start getting into question. Emmett Smith is the number one kind of example of this in 94, I think it was, yeah. after the Super Bowl season. Yeah. He missed the first two games. He, you have to be willing to miss those games yeah. to get the leverage. I mean, And it doesn't sound like he's willing to do that. I really hope he does because he deserves every dollar. Like, he needs to be paid properly. So why not... Take that. Just take a rest. Take yeah. care of your body. But he's worth, say, $18 million a year, $17, $18 million a year. 100%. At some point, you got to say, me playing at $10.5 million isn't worth it. Well, if, he, if you had another, if you were guaranteeing him basically a Super Bowl on top of this, he wouldn't hold out. But this isn't a team that's designed to win a Super Bowl guaranteed. So pay him. Yeah, the Falcons have said their team policy is they don't uh, negotiate With contracts. <laughs> they don't negotiate contracts at this time in the contract. I mean, so that's you, you got to force their hand, and to do so, you got to hold out. Uh, I hold out. They they'll eventually talk to you. It's gonna be you're not gonna win your first two games when you're not there. Matt Ryan's gonna look like a pedestrian quarterback for sure. So it makes a huge like. There's no overstating the amount of difference that that one star can make. Because they got good receivers in the pipeline as well, but you move the number two guy up to number one, suddenly he doesn't look as good when he's got to face that number one corner. Yeah. And the whole way down the line. Exactly. And, you know, you better. Like, I just say pay him. Pay him. Be smart. Lock him down for, like, the rest of his career. Yeah. That would make sense. A couple other holdouts. I'll throw them both at you. Take them as you want them. Uh, Sam Darnold is holding out and Khalil Mack. Sam Darnold uh, over guaranteed money, I believe. 
Yes, because Which, he, he's basically slotted in at $30.4 million, I believe it is. Yeah, however that... Team or him don't really have any choice. On yeah, that. so I, I get it because the reality of it is is that in his head, you have to... Maybe, I mean, maybe he gets hurt and he never plays again. Get your money. And also, maybe he's not starting, you know, his first two, three years of his career, four years of his career. Yeah, they've got Teddy Bridgewater... And someone else. Uh, McCowan. Yeah, in camp, uh, Luke McCowan yeah. in camp. If he wants to play, this is a really bad way to go about it. It's 100%. not like he's competing against Joe McNobody. Exactly. So, I mean, it, I feel like the holdout makes sense in that you want to make sure you get your guaranteed money. Because, I mean, it could end tomorrow. But, uh, I mean, don't don't kind of let this be your Ryan Leaf incident, so... Yeah, this seems sure. like a dumb move out of a guy who seems like he might be a very dumb quarterback. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, his college play is, I feel like, really overhyped. But, I mean, it, it, it makes sense in that you're probably not going to play anyway right away. So, it's not going to be a Ryan Leaf situation. Like, they're not going to thrust you into starting. You're overweight. You're not ready but to go. This isn't a guy that people said was... Like, not pro-ready. I mean, he... And, and he's not competing against, like, the 35-year-old quarterback. What if he, What if Teddy Bridgewater does show up and plays well and doesn't get hurt, which has always been his problem? He, you might not get the chance you think you do. That's very true, but it's... You, you have to also take a look at it and be like, what happens if they throw me in right away and I'm the pincushion? Like, get your money. We've seen that happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you don't want to be uh, David Carr. You know what I mean? So, take your like, take your time, get your money. There, It's a good situation to be in any way you look at it. There's not much talent to throw at. There's not much of an O-line. If you hold out and you don't end up playing right away, you're not kicking the hits. And Khalil Mack... Uh, not in the same situation. This is a proven player. Yeah. Best player on the Raiders, I think, without any yeah, doubt. Yeah, probably top three pass rushers in the league. Um, and never mind top three pass rushers, probably one of the top three run stoppers as well. Like, he's probably yeah, one of the top players player. in the league. Absolutely. So, for him to hold out, do it. Get your money. He was making 13.8 this year. Um, not enough. And no long-term extension passed this year. And, of course, in the NFL, what you're always worried about is that uh, nasty word franchise tag. Exactly. You don't want to get caught with that. And you're thinking, oh, well, he gets paid the top end of it. No, the problem is is that you need to make sure that you're secured for the future. Like, if you get hurt then, nobody has you. No money Nothing. Guaranteed money is what it's all about. It's all about guaranteed money, and it's all about having a contract so that when you are hurt, you are still with the team. So, you know, it's... it's. This goes back kind of to the Julio Jones discussion. Is he willing to miss regular season games to force this? I guess the Raiders probably deal with it before that situation. They're smarter than that. All right. Jason Verrett has unfortunately been injured. For the fourth year in his five-year career, he has torn his Achilles. Oh, man. This injury seems to be plaguing everyone. I remember when it was the Redskins linebacker Washington. I can't remember his first name off the top of my head. And he he ended up playing for the Giants for a few years. And uh, he ended up popping his Achilles, and it was career over. That used to be an Achilles injury. You pop your Achilles... Career over. Um, it, it was... It, you. It's so sad, man. These injuries are happening all the time. I don't, I'm not sure what is happening, but to see a player like that, one of the, like the best corner for their team, a really good uh, player to have that injury happen is, is yeah. really sad. Super talented player just to never be able to get off the ground. Yeah, you know, and an Achilles injury is definite surgery, you know, like, and hopefully he's able to play again, but you uh, these injuries add up. and Achilles injury is kind of the last 
last bastion of the ligament injuries that we haven't solved. Really, like it used 100%, to be ACL. Yeah. You wouldn't know how they came back, and we've got. Well, I mean, shoulders. Yet. It used to be a shoulder. Quarterbacks used to, you know, tear a rotator cuff, and they go in there with sticks and stones, smack it together, and get you back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like we, there's a lot of questions about Demarcus Cousins. How will he come back from this? We haven't seen. There hasn't been the consistency back from this injury. Yeah. And his career may have basically ended before it really took off. Yeah, and it, it is very uh, it is very sad to kind of see a player like that who was so talented just have that happen in before your season even starts. Uh, I mean, he was probably their best DB, you know. Yeah. And especially since they pulled in that safety from Florida State. You know. Yes. And then all of a sudden you lose your your corner, like it, it's it's heartbreaking. They're in kind of an unknown division where they could finish last or they could finish first. You don't yeah. really know. Their division but, is probably the most undecided. Like it's like if Mahomes is good, they'll be the team. If, if the uh, Broncos, Keenum is good. Yeah, yeah the they'll the be the top of the league. If it if. Oakland is everything that they're supposed to be. They'll be at the top of it. The Chargers, this is their year. They'll be at the top of it. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, we like, don't know what's happening with this is, and this can't, this can't help. This does not help the Chargers' chances at all. And speedy recovery to him, and hopefully we see him on the field again, you know, next year, healthy, ready to go. All right, I want to move on to a bit of a rapid-fire segment. New. Sometimes there's a lot, of, a lot of stories, but maybe not... Enough stories, so I'm going to run a couple stories past you. Okay, okay. Have you heard about Ryan Lochte this week? Okay, I've heard a little bit about this. This <laughs> dude has to be the dumbest human being that has ever won an Olympic medal. <laughs> it's, it's impressive. If you oh, haven't heard man. the story, Ryan Lochte has been suspended for 14 months for taking an IV. Now, yeah. there are very specific regulations in swimming for when and how you can take your IVs. It has to be in a hospital administered under certain situations. And he took this, I believe, in basically the performance, like in the pool like, somewhere, yeah, or back room in like the pool. That. So, like, the you're thinking, like, well, that's weird. Like, why do you have such a... Like, there's rules that each league and everything has to follow. And you do have to follow them in stride. And I get it. Like, he, why he was taking this is because he was tired. He was overworked. He was doing everything. He was very dehydrated. And they were just getting fluids back into him. It wasn't a performance-enhancing substance. It wasn't anything crazy. But you could only do it... Very specific situations. Exactly. And you're probably asking yourself... How would the swimming federation find out about? We, well, they must taking have the a IV very drift. good detective who comes around and peeks into locker rooms and stuff to find them. Maybe a magnificent test, the perfect urine test that just can figure it out. A hundred percent. Or, or you could just send a selfie out of you doing it in the locker room. I'm laughing into my elbow here. <laughs> this is. Unbelievable. He only got caught because not only is this rule not their biggest thing, because they do understand that you need this house, so you're allowed yeah. to get this procedure. You just need to do it in a proper way. Yeah. But they found out because he sent a picture of it out on social media. Yay. What is it? Oh, man. There like, are no words for the intelligence of this man. Like, what are you, like, I'm going to cheat, and now I'm going to show everyone I'm cheating. Hopefully no one figures out. What are you doing? <laughs> like, really? What? Like, you are, oh, my gosh. Like, take a look in a mirror, man. You are a goofball in... It's amazing. There's there there are no words for how great this story is. Oh gosh, like that's. So I'm gonna move on to a few more sports-related stories. Alfonso Davies, superstar Canadian teenager, Heck yeah. has been transferred to Bayern Munich. Boom! Big money. Uh, it's cool to see uh, a kid do that. I mean, he was electrifying this year. Electrifying and. I, he played a game, I think it was last night, where he had two goals, two assists, 
Ooh, he is smooth. So, man. Yeah, this is great news for both Bayern Munich. They get a superstar player as 100%. well as Canadian soccer. They get their superstar with us hosting a few World Cup games in yep. eight years. So hopefully we'll they get we a superstar in, in training. Yeah, you know, maybe we can pull a Russia like they did exactly, this year. Surprise right? everyone! Slide in there, win a couple. You know. Also, good news, I suppose, for the Vancouver Whitecaps. They get quite a bit of change to try to revamp their roster. Yeah, was it thirteen million dollars? Yes, the entire thing is the entire transaction is about twenty million dollars. I'm yes. not quite sure how much of that is going to the Vancouver Whitecaps. Yes. but they have been struggling. They've lost five of their last six games, and they're hoping that this money will be able to allow them to get a few. A few more depth pieces to try yes, to turn this exactly. around. So, I mean, hopefully it works out for them and uh, we see them start to uh, fix those issues that are there. You know, uh, they are a, a very capable soccer team, but we will see. Yeah, I think number one winner is Canadian soccer. That might yeah. just be hopeful for yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Nick Saban, we've talked a lot about extensions and holdouts. Nick yep. Saban... Got one heck of an extension through 2025. Okay. It's a. It's going to start at 7.5. Uh, sorry, it's 7.5 million salary with two sets of four hundred thousand uh, dollar salary bonuses this year. He's going to make eight point three million dollars this year, oh, and we'll get a four hundred thousand dollar raise every year of the contract. Okay, I want to make a note here so everyone knows where I stand on this. You can maybe pay the players a little bit of money. <laughs> I don't know where we're gonna find all this money. I, I just mean like maybe like a like a like enough that they don't aren't hungry whenever they go to a competition. Like they don't have to miss a meal. Like just that much money. That's yeah, it. there are some legal setups around the specifics of this that I don't quite know how to handle. But there's no way that you can't let these guys somehow make money I mean, when their coaches are making almost. They, Ten figures. If if Nick Saban makes seven million dollars, his players probably got paid way more money than I said they got paid. <laughs> like it's, I'm just mean, just uh, just enough that you know that they're they're well fed and taken care of and can buy clothes and you know what I mean. Like that's it. Because some of these guys have kids. Like we're not talking like. Every one of these guys has children, but a lot of them do. Yeah, the the tone of the con this conversation needs to change because we're we're often talking about like people bring out solutions that let's pay the players, but we'll put it in a trust where they can't access it now. But that doesn't help. Like what you were just saying, the people who have kids, who yeah, need the money no, now. exactly. And it's, I'm not saying we should pay them millions of dollars. They they play. They reason why they play. In college, and why is exciting is because they're doing it for the alma mater. They're not doing it for a paycheck. So I I get why you don't want a a, a re like they're paying they're playing for the money. So I get that. But I if you made it so that everyone got paid a locked amount of dollars across the board, just every school pays this much money to their players. Whatever the lowest school can afford. That much money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't taper up. It shouldn't taper down. It should be this much money. You're in Div 1. You get this many dollars every single month. Take care of yourself. Take care of your kids. You know, be able to get a new pair of shoes. Be able to buy a new hat. That's it. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend that I have all the solutions no. for this. But... There has to be, we saw Northwestern attempt to, the players attempt to unionize yes. a few years ago. We need something where the players have a representative yes. and are negotiating and in conversation with the powers that be. Because this current situation is just untenable. A hundred percent. And it, it needs to be something real, really feasible because these are, yes, they are athletes and yes, you do want to see them play Every single time I do, I love college football. I never want it to disappear as it is. But these kids do need some sort of compensation because this could be the end of it for a lot of them. And they're they're not guaranteed an education. They should at least be covered in that extent. If you get injured on a yes, football field that's one of the or a soccer easiest. field, you should be given the rest of your education. Yeah, if you're given a contract... If you're given a scholarship when you're 18, that should be guaranteed four years. Yeah. 
I mean, even if you're no, the worst no player in the world, that. they're like, ooh, yeah, you, Texas gives this to you. It doesn't matter. You have to follow that all the way through to the end. You have the money to do it. And realistically, it doesn't cost a university a penny to put a kid into a class. Yeah, this is a multi-billion dollar industry, and the labor is unpaid. There's a problem here. Yeah, 100%. So let's finish off with a bit of a sentimental note. Jerome McGinley has retired after I mean, 18 seasons? Okay, let's... 20 seasons. Let's... Uh, 21 seasons. This won't be ending it on a sentimental note because, yes, no, it is really uh, crazy because he was super exciting. You know, uh, a guy from uh, who put in a lot of work, was a real strong, tough guy, you know, really exciting, did all of his things. But the problem is, is that is not the last thing we're going to talk about here, Charles. Okay. Um, we have a, a really good uh, pitcher that uh, did some pretty exciting things when he was 17 years old. Okay. Oh. oh yes. You wanted to talk. Yes. This is not an exciting <laughs> I see where you're going with this. Yes. Yeah, you, you know, like every... Kid, he has social media. He's out there taking selfies and, uh, you know, saying racist things and misogynistic things. Like every 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 kid. Yeah. Or... So this story, if you haven't heard about it, is very 2018. It combines <laughs> the. It's probably the most 2018 yeah, you can get. Ludicrous real time social media technology meeting sport. Perfectly. Josh Hader is who we're talking about, if you haven't figured this out all right, already. Pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers was in the All-Star game when people dug up a bunch of, as Kevin said, racist, misogynistic, homophobic tweets. And this happened literally as he's on the mound. They allowed phones. It was the All-Star game, so they allowed players had their phones, phones out. Yeah, so they can tweet uh, while the and game's going on. you can see a few of their faces as they real as they realize what's going on. Kind of, what the heck have I... What, what is going on here? What is the, you this know, guy And doing? he's just pitching the game, right? He's pitching, and everyone is, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. His family is in the crowd, and then no longer in the crowd. Like, it's, it's crazy. Uh... And unfortunately, this story only got worse when he came back and had his first appearance in front of the Milwaukee Brewers crowd. He got a semi-standing ovation for reasons that I can't come to a good conclusion on. Okay, so, I mean, it was in your head, it seems like a good idea if you were the person who maybe organized this to say, hey, fans, if you're a fan of your Brewers and support your Brewers... Yeah, no, um, this is something that he needs to, you know, have some comments about and clarify himself. Before you have a standing ovation for a human being who said racist, uh, sexist, homophobic, misogynistic things in 2018, uh, you kind of have to make sure that he's not like, well, I meant every word of it. And I'm not taking any word back. You know what I mean? Like, you have to wait. Yeah, like, we... You don't want to condemn this guy came off the team. Nobody's saying that. But you do have to realize that we just... You can't just forgive someone who said... 17, you're basically an adult. At that point, you are... Think there's... There's reasonable thoughts that should be going into your head. 100%. You're about to go to college, you know what I mean? He was choosing his schools, doing everything that came along with it. You know, These and thoughts shouldn't be in your head. Yeah, I mean, as a as a player, like I I played football in university, and the one thing they said was like, make sure that your social media that you're not doing certain things. We had an incident at our school that they said, hey, don't don't tweet anything about this; it'll be dealt with. Like we don't see, we don't get to say. And we're like, cool, we'll you know take a step back, and this right now, like. Is it seems like he shouldn't have even made it into college. Like, that should have been like, hey, no, we don't want anything to do with you. All these calls seem to preach that this is that yeah. thing. You hear all the time you that out. schools watch your Facebook and your Twitter and when you're trying to get into university, but either they don't or don't do it very well, or they do 
and they don't care as much as they should about certain things. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, crazy, and I mean, I'm sure he'll have some comments about this where he'll apologize for what he said. He already and, has apologized quite profusely, oh, there and we go. Uh, his. A few of his teammates, you know, it's kind of the awkward, you see the black teammate trotted out to be, like, the, the prop, which always makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, but no, it has I been agree said 100%. Like, oh my gosh, like, oh, here's a black teammate shaking his hand and smiling. He's not racist. Like, I mean, well, I'm not saying the man's racist, but what he said there was racist. So, yes. I mean, your and was sexist, was homophobic. Yeah, I people mean, can improve, and we hope that that has happened in this young man's case, that he's, he's, the ignorance has been removed from him, because that's often what it is. It's yeah. simply lack of knowledge and ignorance to the subject matter. Yeah, I mean, he's from uh, the middle of nowhere, you know, in Iowa. Like, you, maybe he was somewhere where he was with a group of people who, you know, he wouldn't want to you know, talk with anymore, you yeah, know, we've seen so. even members of like prominent Ku Klux Klan families that someone gets into their ear and changes their mind. So yeah. that can, just because he said this at 17 doesn't mean he it still thinks this. It doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that it has to be a problem. It doesn't mean he has those opinions anymore as well. You we know? also don't forgive it immediately for no reason. A hundred percent. And you're going to, I mean, you can say whatever you want. Free speech is a thing. But, like, you do have to deal with the consequences of what you say. And there is a consequence to what he said, and right now he's dealing with it. I do not think a standing ovation for the man yeah. is a thing. Like, <laughs> maybe if he then donated... Doesn't need to be celebrated. Yeah. Like, I feel like if he donated half of his paycheck to all these organizations that dealt with issues like that, maybe then can we give him a standing ovation. But for now, he's just a guy who made a big mistake and he's apologizing profusely, and hopefully he did change his ways. Cool, so that brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, we want to thank you guys for listening. Um, you know, we do it for the love of it, so we do it even if you weren't or not, but we love when you do listen, so thank you for that. Um, I'm Kevin. This is Charles. We'll be, you can find us at... Uh, head to head P-R-O-D on Twitter, Instagram, anywhere you can find us. And I'm Kevin Hansen at H2H on Twitter, so check us out, and awesome, and thank you for listening.